It's the Not So Bon Voyage podcast, episode 70. Oh, we got a long one today, guys. We're discussing outrunning an avalanche and a crazy Colombian kidnapping. Grab your tour guide and let's go. And then the train got lost. How does the train get lost when it's on rails? I just want to get out there in the wild. Well, it was in the itinerary. I mean, adventure, it's calling. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been excellent. Howdy, Howdy. y'all. That's so bum voyage podcast. Yeah, tip my hat to you. Tip my hat to you. I'm Jules, tip my hat to you. I'm Christine, tip my hat right back at you. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, we've got a couple of stories about when shit goes wrong on the road to talk about today. Yes, we do. I actually have like a long, like proper long form story. So if you like that, get excited. And yeah. if you don't, deal with it. <laughs> yeah. It's like our old school stories. If you are new to the podcast, welcome, of course, Voyagers. You are now officially a Voyager just for showing up. You, uh, I mean, obviously, we have different levels of Voyagers. Right. Those who have subscribed to the Patreon, those who like us on Instagram, who message us stories. Mm. But at a very, very minimum, you're like a third class Voyager just for being here. Yeah, you're down in the bottom. You're down in the, the bottom. level. If we could put it in some kind of Titanic reference, you would definitely be one of the first to go. Yes. You would not be uh, women or children or have any kind of opportunity to grab a lifeboat. You would definitely be one of the first drowning. But But you you can say you were on the Titanic. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And hopefully this isn't a sinking ship. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, we're giving it our best shot at sinking because we're (laughs) just being super inconsistent with when we get episodes out. But, you know, we said Tuesday, it's it's Wednesday now. It's Wednesday afternoon now. But we're here. We're here again. Yeah, we're trying, you guys. We're getting it out, even if it's late. We, we're coming at you. It's kind of on brand, though, because, you know, our podcast is about when thing doesn't, things don't go right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just this podcast is just... <laughs> it's like a late bus. Yeah. It's like, you don't know if it's coming. You might have to pay for a taxi. And, uh, and yeah, but we're here. We're here now. Yeah, but if you wait long enough, it will be here. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's that's, that's us, guys. And, that you know, is us. We, we do have an update, though, is that we are getting back in the van and doing some van travel for the first time in almost a year. And God knows something's going to go wrong because it always Something does. Something is definitely going to go wrong because the van in itself, we'll discuss more about the van stuff next week because the van's already giving us a lot of grief and I can definitely uh, I can definitely anticipate already us having some drama, but we are going to do a little bit of safe travel, responsible travel, mm-hmm. a little bit of outdoor stuff, a little bit of uh, camping, cruising, camping, staying in the van. So we yeah. are... We're getting out, COVID guys. safe travel, which we haven't done at all. So this is actually really exciting. This is our first trip since early 2019. Yes, you guys will, the long-term voyagers will remember that our travels through Canada saw us mm. very cold. So yes. we're looking forward to that. We're getting back in the cold now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, I do have one more update before I get into uh, talking about the avalanche story that I teased at the end of last week. Mm, oh, yeah. This was in regards to last week's episode. If you haven't listened to it, go and listen to it. Mm-hmm. In regards to a guy that jet skied across from, was it Ireland to the Isle of Man? Yes, so something a, like that. As a follow-up, I'm pretty English, sh- British yeah. kind of situation. I'm pretty sure that guy got four weeks jail for that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I did not see that in my research, but I only read one article about it, so. Yes. <laughs> wow, four weeks. That's, uh, okay. That, I feel like that's an appropriate amount of time, actually. Yeah, okay. Jet Ski Romeo. Jet Ski Romeo hits roadblock before blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go, 28. Um, but yeah, I think he made jail. 
Mm, he made jail. He made jail. He made the he jail. He was released early in time for Christmas, but was still unable to meet his gal pal for the holiday due to the same coronavirus restrictions. So he got out of jail, mm-hmm. but he still had to uh, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully he won't be breaking quarantine again. So this is funny. It says that goose. he only met Oh, his, her name in- was, his real name was Romeo? No. Oh, no, Jet Ski Romeo. Dale, <laughs> Dale. His name is Dale, guys. <laughs> but uh, he does look like a... He looks like a Dale. It says that the couple only met in September as well, so he really wasn't uh, very... He was infatuated. He was infatuated. It's like mm. that young honeymoon love. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that was the update on that. And then I wanted to give a little update and tell you a little bit more and the Voyagers, not just you, Christine, unless the Voyagers want to tune out for this part. <laughs> okay, you guys are still here? Cool. <laughs> so last week we talked at the end of the episode about avalanches and I talked about a group of brothers that got caught in an avalanche very recently. Mm, but I yes. didn't tell you the details because I had to look it up. So I have okay. the details today okay. and I have some video content that we'll put on the show notes at notsobonvoyage.com so you can also check out the story. But it's crazy because last week I was talking about how it was the deadliest week in US history for over 100 years for avalanches. Right. Those avalanches are coming out of nowhere. Yes. So this story comes from Unita. Unita? U-I-N-T-A. How would okay. you say that? Uinita. Uinta. 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 Winter. Well, let's go with that. Okay. The Winter Uinta Mountains in northeastern Utah, mm. which is uh, kind of where we're going soon. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, no. I'm scared of avalanches. No, you don't have to be scared oh, of Oh, yeah. It's just that they're backcountry. Okay. Back country I forgot. Stuff. I forgot. Okay. Whew. So oh, I was scared for a second. But the interesting thing about this story is that it actually happened to people that were local to the area and very experienced with the backcountry. So, mm. so we talked about the idea of that avalanches are happening this season more so than ever because of very unstable base foundation snow. Um, and so going backcountry, has to be, you have to be very, very careful about that. But across the board at resorts and places that are very commercial, there's very little avalanche threat because they prep all the mountains and they make sure that that sort of stuff doesn't build up. But if you are going backcountry, then obviously that's just the open road. Mm. So that's the risk. But uh, so we talked about you know being careful with all that sort of stuff. But these brothers were very experienced. Mm. They said that I'm going to read the caption because I think it's really interesting uh, his perspective on it. And then I'm going to show you the video. Actually, do you want to see the video first or his sure. caption? Sure. Oh, I okay. love to see the video. Here's the video, and we will. I love it video is content. Crazy. We will put it on. You will have to go visit the show notes to see it, or you can you can look up. The account comes from a guy called Miles at Backcountry Miles on Instagram, and this is him filming the avalanche rolling down the mountain as the snowmobile is trying to escape it. Oh, my God. It is crazy. And then that's going to hit him. And he's like, oh, shit. Oh, he wasn't even on? He said the F word. (laughs) I mean, we say the F word. (laughs) Oh, my God, you guys. Okay, so for some reason, I thought that this was video was taken with a guy who was on the back of a snowmobile. And he was just waiting to go, but he was off his snowmobile and he had to put his camera away and get back on it so to that, get away from the avalanche that was barreling down the mountain. I mean, I don't know why he waited so long to get on a snowmobile and get the heck out of there. I don't know, but here's the next <laughs> video, which is even crazier. So this is after, so thankfully, all the people that were involved survived, which Hallelujah. is crazy. Okay. And then you'll hear more about it in a sec. Actually, let me read the caption now and then I'll show you the rest of the videos. So- he was sort of putting this out there like a bit of a PSA to make sure 
that people stayed safe during the snow season. So he said, please share. And it, well, even got a lot of shares. <laughs> Today we were riding the Unidas. The snow was great up high and it was feeling, it was finally feeling like we had some base. So I guess he means like, um, like it I seemed like it was base. I don't know. Maybe, you maybe know, that's like the base. base foundation we we're talking about. Hmm. I've been riding sleds in this particular area since I was eight years old. I'm very familiar with the area. My brother and I were playing on the side of the hill in a tree area where we've driven 30 to 40 times in years past. All right. So mm -hmm. he's experienced. Very experienced. We had three other friends and one younger below in the flats. As I finished recording, my brother playing in the pow, 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 pow. the mountain that shook. That means powder for our non-snowy friends. Yes. The mountain shook. My oh. original thought was earthquake. Oh. Then it hit me. Avalanche. Oh, As I so turned scary. and looked up, I could see the snow wave coming. Oh, so if God. you see the video, it literally looks like a tsunami. A wave of snow. It's very scary. I would not want to be face-to-face -face with that. No. My brother's back was turned, and I screamed avalanche as loud as I could. Now, here comes my mistake number one. I pulled my Klim avalanche backpack, and boom, nothing happened. I hadn't turned it on. Oh, no. So that is... Uh, I didn't know you had to turn those on. Yeah. A second later, the snow hit, and the swimming started. So I guess... He just got completely covered in the snow. So we did talk about those avalanche packs, which we don't know a lot about, so I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert. But I guess apparently you need to turn them on. Okay, it's essentially, that's good to know. Essentially, it's a parachute that like goes around you, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, he didn't have his on. Uh, so he says, yeah, a second later the snow hit and, I, and the swimming started. Somehow I only moved about 20 yards and stayed on top of the snow. Miracle. Wow. Only being buried to, to my lower chest, I dug myself out. So he was really That's lucky. That's so lucky. That's so scary, though. Oh, my yeah. God. My little brother's sled was... Um, okay, wait. Was that? My little brother's sled was running, and I could hear the yelling on the radio. I could hear someone in the trees, but I couldn't figure out where. I ran to my brother's sled and turned it off. I could now hear the, him screaming my name. Mistake number two. Had I not been able to hear his voice, I would have been lost. My beacon, probe, and shovel were all in my backpack, but I would have no clue what to do first. Mm. All right. Uh, let me tell you, there is no worse feeling than having your little brother buried. Oh, that's I know. horrible. I followed his voice and saw the top of his black helmet and his voice and started digging. Oh After my God. Six, 60 seconds later, I had his face uncovered. Jesus. He was okay. Then the radio uh, came, the radio chatter. Where is everyone? Is everyone Okay. We didn't realize it, but the avalanche had also triggered even bigger on the other side of the trees where we were. Oh uh, his younger brother got out. So did the other friends. Um, our other two friends both got hit with um, the wave on the flats. So I guess it hit them on the other side. And they got their sleds buried. And Craig, thankfully, got his parachute, like his avalanche chute, off in time, mm. which ultimately probably saved his life. Wow. Uh, the person filming, a guy called Nate, was buried to about his face. And somehow was able to hold on to his phone. Jeez Louise. So here's, here's the next video, which is crazy. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit. This is after. Avalanche huge. Just came down. I pulled my chute. Didn't work. I heard Hunter yelling. And oh. here he is. Oh my God. He is laying underground. He's, uh, he's in a hole he's in the in, snow. Completely covered. It's just his head poking out. And then there's a couple of video. There's a couple of other sort of videos. and It looks so beautiful though. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that crazy? Yes. And that couple, is insane. A couple of photos of people buried basically and their snowmobiles buried. But is that not one of the wildest things you've seen? That is very that wild. That first video of that wave of snow coming down the mountain is just 
crazy and you can just see like what would you be thinking right now you're just like well i've gotten on my snowmobile a little bit quicker but yeah but who knows i mean maybe it was just an awe so that's crazy wow thank goodness all those things aligned that everybody was okay like thank goodness he his he could see his little brother's black helmet like what if his the helmet was covered you couldn't barely see and you couldn't hear you know, somebody's crying from underneath the snow. Yeah. So that was so many lucky things at once. Yeah. So well, the avalanche was unlucky, but yeah. <laughs> the so, rest of it was pretty lucky. So very crazy stuff. Uh, yeah, check out the show notes to see the video. And thankfully, everyone was okay. Mm, wow. Yeah. That and is bananas. Yes. Yeah, so be safe out there, guys. Yes. Be safe. Always turn your avalanche backpack on. <laughs> yes. And be re- be prepared with your beacon be, and everything else. Yeah. Be prepared. Okay. Wow. That is insane. Uh, my story actually uh, includes an avalanche, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that part. So I actually named my story today. Okay, guys. Guys, this buckle up because Christmas I miracle. name my story. I never do it. Jules always does it. And I yeah. always forget to do it. This or I is, name it something really lame. This is a Christmas miracle. Yeah, it'll be a story about, I don't know, about Thailand. And Christine will just be like, Thailand story. Yeah, exactly. Well, this isn't that much better, but I'm at least I titled it. Okay, give us a, hit me with it's it. It's called Chaos in Columbia. Okay. That's very good, right? Might, Alliteration. Yeah. I mean, for you, yeah. Okay, thank you. For me, it's pretty good. Okay, so Mark, this story is about Mark. Oh my God, I didn't write his last name down. I'm so. That's right. That's keep, my bad. Keep, an, keep him anonymous. Okay, his first name is Mark. You could just Google him after the story. You'll be able to figure it well, out. Well, it will be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. That's correct. It starts with a W. It's like Wednesday or something like that. Wes Wesnad or something like that. Marky, so Marky Dubs. So this is back in 2001. Mark is a 21 year old student at the University of Colorado, but he's not really having a great time at school. He wants to go on an adventure. Yeah, man. School sucks. Yeah. And so he's originally from Colombia, but when he was very young, he was adopted by an American family. So he's spent his whole life in the States, but he really feels like going back to Colombia and reconnecting with his roots. Well, that is a great idea, Mark. I I say go for it. Yeah. I mean, Colombia is a gorgeous country. We've been there several times. Or wait, have we only been been there once or twice? (laughs) Uh, We've been there twice. Yeah, twice. Twice. I've been there three times, actually. Oh, well, fancy you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So basically, he wants to go back, reconnect with his roots, but he really wants to get off the tourist track. He doesn't yeah. want to do the touristy thing because he feels connected a, like a local, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, he kind of is a local. Yeah. He's got roots. He speaks fluent Spanish. He is Colombian. Yeah. So he actually road trips all the way down from Colorado to Panama, which okay. is pretty impressive in itself. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And then he gets to Panama and he has to get across to Colombia somehow. You can go by boat or you can go by plane. Those mm-hmm. are kind of the options. Or you can do the crazy thing and go across the Darien Gap. Uh-oh. So for those that don't know, so basically Central America is connected to South America. I feel like people think they're two separate Consonants. Yes. I mean, they are separate they consonants. They are separate. But they're like not connected what are you by land. They're two separate what? Consonants. Consonants. Consonants? Consonants. Continents. Continents. Are you calling them a consonant? Like in the consonants. alphabet? Consonants. They're two separate consonants. Yeah. Continental breakfast. Yes. Basically, there you go. is what I'm talking about. Get that buffet on. Thank you. Okay. So, what is a continental breakfast? Um, is it a buffet or is it just like an egg and like fruit or something? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably it's something boring. It's boring. It's yeah. like very boring. Okay. Anyway, this is what's an American to breakfast? breakfast. I don't know. Eggs. Eggs. Waffles, probably. Mm. 
something lots fatty. Of, lots of sugary something things. fatty for Probably sure. Probably like Fruit Loops and stuff. Yeah. Delicious. Okay, so basically he wants to go across the Darien Gap, which is 160 kilometers of dense jungle that connects Panama and Colombia. Yes. It's known for being like a lawless land controlled by the guerrillas, by the FARC, which is like a left-wing guerrilla. Not guerrillas, like woo, woo, woo. Gorillas, gorillas like, in the uh, gorillas, like, um, you know. Please, I would love you to keep trying to explain what they are. Why don't you explain it? A gorilla is a insurgent force that is opposing the government. Okay, yes, that's true. Yes. So they're left wing, they're for the people. Well, they're not, gorillas aren't always. Oh, that. no, sorry, the FARC is. The FARC is, yes. yes. They're anti-government, they're left wing, they're for the people, revolutionaries. You yeah, know, I, I mean, so I'm not saying pro or con, I don't know. But yeah, that's who they are, yeah. and that that the Darien Dap is no, Darien Gap. I said the oh Darien Dap. Darien Dap. I said the Darien Gap is controlled by them and other paramilitary groups. It's basically somewhere you don't want to be. It's very dangerous. It's a lawless no man's land. It really is. There's a lot of travel folklore about whether you can pa- go across it or not, and you know those real hardcore travelers always say they want to do it, but yeah. I've never met anybody that's actually done it. Well, we met that person one time who was a pathological liar in Mexico oh, who yes. told us he walked across the Darien Gap, yeah. and I'm pretty sure he just recounted uh, a famous story that I think we might have talked about on the podcast i'm not sure but either way he was a biggest <laughs> that, bullshitter ever that we need to tell that story because that is a fascinating story we have this fascinating pathological story. liar who was lying to our face and we knew it and it was like whoa what do you do in a situation like that it's really crazy like legit would lie to us and we were in the town for a while so we saw him multiple times and i we actually went back and fact-checked his stories, and he was literally talking about other people's stories that wasn't him. It was it was bizarre. He anyway. was like a podcaster who tells famous travel stories, but he pretended they were his own. Yeah, like us. It's like if we <laughs> pretended these were our stories. Yeah. Anyway, maybe we'll get back to him another time. If you want to hear about him, uh, let us know, and we'll, we'll, we might do an episode. But he was, fuck, he was a bizarre guy. So anyway, I was in Colombia thinking about crossing the Darien Gap. <laughs> yeah, this one me and Christine this crossed the gap. I'm just kidding. Okay, so basically Mark has his sights on crossing the Darien Gap by foot. He wants to do it. He wants to live off the land and get amongst it. And he's just, he's doing it. You can't True stop him. True travel adventure. He's 21. You can't stop him. 2001 would have been quite a sketchy time as well to travel in yeah, that. Like, true. Not that this is a very great area to travel now, but things in Colombia were very different back now, th- like that's twenty years ago. Like there was a lot more, uh, like unsettlement. The FARC mm. has actually come to since, like since that time, come to an agreement with the government. They're actually now represented as a political party inside mm. Colombia. So, you know, mm. things have progressed a lot more. But mm. two thousand and one, that's when that's like prime. Western travelers getting kidnapped. Mm, yes. Because the, kind of the 90s was when it was popping off in Colombia, right? And it was more dangerous than it is now? Yes. But that, that was more to do with drug trafficking, mm, okay. which was also uh, dangerous. But there's like two different issues. Like one's a drug mm. trafficking issue, which is still one's prevalent. More political. But one they probably more... overlap. Yes, definitely. The Venn diagram. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Mark heads into a map shop and asks for a map of the Darien Gap. He said, hat, pat, 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 Oh, God, sorry. What the heck? <laughs> it rhymes. I was going to do a rap. And then I, oh, I should have uh-uh. said rap. Oh, 
Okay, anyway. I'm about to do a rap about this guy going to ask for a map of the Darien Gap. Yeah, uh. that's right. That's whap, it. whap, whap. <laughs> whap. Okay, so while he's in the map shop, a American dude comes in and also asks for a map of the Darien as well. Oh, how convenient. Which is a weird coincidence because really nobody's going on this route. This is not very common at all. So for them to end up in the same map shop asking for this is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So Mark introduces himself and, and he learns that this guy guy's named Robert. He's a journalist from the States. And Mark's like, I'm a rapper. Uh, uh, I need yeah. a map to the gap. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to finish my rap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My name's Marky Mark. <laughs> Marky Mark, yes. Mark W. Marky Wahlberg. Yeah, this is actually how it started. This is the origin story <laughs> so of Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg's origin story. Okay, so he finds out that uh, Mark is traveling. Oh, sorry. Robert is traveling with a woman. Uh, she's blonde and six foot tall. So she's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of deciding, should we travel together? They're discussing it. And in the end, they figure they're probably safer, safety in numbers. So they decide to go together. So they head into the jungle. They go to an indigenous village, kind of at the edge of the jungle, and they meet a guide named Victor, who's like, yeah, I can take you across. No worries. Like, I'll be your guide. I have contacts with the FARC. Like, we'll be good to go. And so they're like, awesome. This is so rad. So they get past the last Panamanian checkpoint where the head honcho of the police is like, we're not going to ensure your safety. Basically, you're taking this risk. Good luck to you. Also, I would like my final bribe. (laughs) And in US dollars, preferably, and then off you go. Yes. Well, that wasn't in the video I watched, but who knows? That definitely happened. So they have Victor, but then they also get local guides along the way. Their first guide is like eight years old, of course, because, you know, they know the jungle very well. I was born in the jungle. The jungle and I are one. (laughs) I don't know why he suddenly became French. (laughs) I don't know. Are we in the French? I was born in the jungle. Me and the jungle are one. And then I eat my croissant Uh, in the jungle. How you say the jungle? How do you say the jungle guide? That is me. You said it, man. You he's said it. He's smoking a cigarette and he's got a twirling his mustache. So anyway, they are walking about 10 to 12 hours per day. Like it's actually not that long of a path, but it's such thick jungle that you have to like cut away and bushwhack your way through. So it takes a long time. Yes. So they're, uh, they're kind of like those. I mean, we've talked a few times about hostage stories in Colombia about people who just walked and walked and walked. These guys are doing it willingly. Yes, they are. 10 to 12 hours per day in the hot-ass jungle with bugs. Steamy. and Oh, it's so steamy. And Victor with his cigarettes. Yeah, you got Victor's cigarette smoke blowing at you. You got croissant crumbs coming at you. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's annoying. So I don't know why they want to do this, but... Here they are. Just throwing all the stereotypes. That's okay. We throw them around at everyone, guys. Yeah, sorry, Frenchies. So eventually they get to the village of Pucuro, which is about actually only 15 miles from Colombia. Oh, they're close. They're not. I mean, they're close, but through the jungle, that's going to take quite a few days. Oh, that seems like a long time to go 15 miles. Yeah, well, but it is. Yeah, if it's thick, at least a few days. You're going up and down and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. And they basically have to make their own path. It's crazy. Like they, he said that it can take hours just to go a couple of miles. Yeah, that that actually does make sense. Right, it tracks. So they get to Pokoro and they accidentally startle the villagers there, who come out yelling in their faces, carrying machetes, shaking the machetes at their faces, 
And they're pissed off because they did not know these people were coming. Who there? Who there? So they get marched to the chief's house, and Victor, the guy, talks to the chief. And the chief is like, oh, cool. You're a tourist. That's totally fine. Yeah. And they get them. It's fun. They get permission for them to come, and they also get a cabin to sleep in for the night. Oh, that's pretty. That's nice hospitality. So, right? That's your classic, really nice. That's your classic Bukhidan uh, hospitality. They're yes. known amongst all of the jungle folk in the Darien Gap as being the most hospitable guests. Yes. I'm not saying you should just show up at these villages. I'm not saying that at all. But in this story, all the indigenous villages they go to along the way are really accommodating. I mean, I don't know if there's like, there's probably an exchange of payment for staying or whatever. But like they go to another, they go to um, the village of Paya next. And they uh, get to go to this tribal council, like survivor, I guess, meeting. Yeah, and then suddenly Marcus gets <laughs> flame extinguished and he's like... You have been. The tribe has spoken. The tribe has spoken. (laughs) Give us back your buff. Uh, they get to go to like they, they they're singing and dancing. They feed them fish and iguana and your, your Pikachu necklace. And yeah, and it's just like they're very hospitable. These people in Paya, yes, very nice uh, indigenous village. Yes, which is great. Uh, but as Christine said, generally not recommended to just startle an indigenous village because then a lot of these places, especially the places out like far out, they're pretty much running their own, you know, judge jury and executioner type system they're not Mm. really abiding by local authorities and there are stories especially maybe not so much now but like older stories about people who stumbled across um ancient tribes and just well not ancient but like far out tribes and got Mm. killed well like that though that uncontacted tribe in the indian ocean was it yeah yeah the the story of john john something chow john Mm -hmm. allen chow yeah Uh, but also just like amazonian tribes back Mm. in the day when explorers used to come across them and Mm. they're like "Mm, no no thank you white person yeah well if you if you have a random foreigner just rock up you're just like what is happening so you know you're on the defensive so yeah we get it so they stay in Paya for a couple of days, and the idea is that somebody from the FARC is going to come to the village and meet with them, and so they can like have contact and you know cross safely. But no one comes, so they decide they're just going to keep crossing to the crossing the border on their own. You can go your own way. That's right. So they get they're coming to the end of their journey. It's the last day before they get to Colombia. And they're pretty close to the border now. So they stop for lunch. They're eating their, like, canned tuna or something, which I Jules would not be excited about. No, I'd just keep walking. If you were starving, though, would you eat canned tuna? No. Really? I don't think so. What would you eat first, canned tuna or cat food? Well, I mean, they're exactly the same, basically. <laughs> I view them in the same realm. So. Oh, my God. Okay, what would you eat? Before? Would you eat canned tuna or dry cat food? Dry cat food. You would have dry cat food over canned tuna. Yeah, because dry cat food is just like biscuits. Oh, my God. Biscuits? Is that biscuits? Little like, crunchy biscuits. Like a cracker, table cracker. Yeah, so they had a bit of water to like swirl them in, like a little bit of cereal. Oh, yeah, God. Easy. Mm, okay, well, now we know. If you want, if Jules is really hungry, send him some dry cat food, yeah. please. But don't send him any tuna. Some whiskers. He hates it. Some whiskers. Do you have whiskers? Uh, I think so. We Whiskies? Whiskers? Whiskers. I, I think know. so. We have Meow Mix. Yeah, mix, yeah. yeah. Some Purina, that's the good stuff. Oh, Purina, yeah. Top shelf, top yeah, shelf really uh, cat food cereal. Jules is a cat food connoisseur. Mm-hmm. Only crunchy, though. So. <laughs> okay, so they stop for lunch, and as they do, three men from the village of Paya pass by them on their way to the border as well. They're going pretty fast, but they're, you know, they're well-versed in the jungle. So they say hi, and they keep eating. 
A bit later, they're walking and they're crossing a clearing and all of a sudden they hear gunshots about half a mile away. Just a burst of gunshots, just like... Not fireworks? Not fireworks. Was it Chinese New Year? It was not Lunar Chinese New Year, no. That's not it. Uh Uh-oh. That's never a good sign then. mm -mm. So at that point, the local guides they're with, not Victor, but the actual local guys they're with, literally drop everything they're carrying and peace out back to Paya. That's usually an even worse sign. Screw this. We're gone. And so Victor and Mark and Robert and Meg are just like, uh, what the F? And who? The girl's still with them? Yeah, Meg. And then, so they're trying to figure out what's happening. And then two of the villagers that had passed by them before on the way to the border comes sprinting back one of them is bleeding and they look terrified they said that they were cutting bamboo when people just started shooting at them and the third villager that was with them had been shot and died oh damn yeah so so those two guys run back to paya they're just like screw this we're out so Victor, Robert, Meg, and Mark are hunkering down thinking we don't have any of our local guides. They all pieced out. We don't really know where we're going. What the F do we do? They just have Victor at this point who isn't really well-versed in that part of the jungle. Yeah, he's like, uh, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a northern Darien Gap type of guide. Yeah, this is southern. The southern areas are a little bit foreign more to me. More of a northeastern section. Yeah, that's my real domain. That's it's where I route. really thrive when that's it comes my wheelhouse. to jungle. But, you know, the south, oh, God, it's anyone's game now. Yeah, well, it is anyone's game. But Robert suggests they keep going towards the gunfire. Yeah. That's- what would you do? <laughs> I mean, why not just go back to Paya, go back to the village? I, I don't know. I guess they figured they couldn't, maybe they figured they couldn't really figure out how to get back. But they could follow their tracks. Surely they cut their way through. Yeah. Or... You think it'd be easier than going forward. Yeah. And they I, can't be that far away from Paya. There's a lot of questionable decisions done in this uh, story. Okay. I'd say so far the most questionable one is going towards the gunfire. Yeah. I would usually suggest- And the eating of the tuna. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. If that first, then the gunfire. I'd say of all the things, uh, if we can impart any knowledge upon you, uh, going towards gunfire is generally not recommended. Yes, it's frowned upon. Hmm. So they basically are like, okay, let's just go forward. You know, we came on this trip. We want to cross the border. Let's just keep going. It sounds like a very stubborn foreigner thing to do, mm. like to push forward to, to just be like, well, you know, I've got to do this. Be very goal-orientated as opposed mm. to thinking logically about mm. what you're about to do. Right. Maybe they weren't thinking very clearly. Either. And you said Robert was a journalist. Robert's a journalist. Yeah. yeah. So he's like obviously trying to get the scoop, but he, yeah. of all people, should know the the difficulties and I guess the, the drama and potential danger of this area. Mm. So anyway, True. Good, good, good luck to him. God bless. Okay. So they keep walking forward and they decide they're going to talk really loudly so that they don't startle whoever is up there. So it's like it's like when you're walking through and you don't want to start a little bear. Yeah, exactly. You've got the sticks, you're clicking the sticks and yeah. you're talking. Loudly. Here I am, here I am. You're Just singing. in case you shoot me, here I am, here yeah. I am. Please don't shoot me. Well, Jules is singing will scare any of the bears away, so we're oh. good with that. Okay, so they get to a bluff and Robert, no shit, says this would be a really good place for an ambush. And just then, four soldiers just appear from the trees. All right, theory. Robert's in on it. Oh, okay. I like that. That's an interesting theory. He's yeah. part of the FARC? He's part of the FARC. He's actually uh, being there to lure them into mm. a trap. I mean, oh. he's the one who said, let's go forward. Maybe he's king of the Farks. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Okay. King of all the Farks. <laughs> First of his name, Robert. 
Robert, I don't know his last name. I don't know. We still don't have last names. Just Robert. We're on a first name basis with these <laughs> we guys. We really are. Mm. I we that's all we need is first names. Yeah, yeah. So these soldiery looking guys force them to have their hands up and uh get on the ground and they get on the radio and start talking. After about an hour, more soldiers arrive. I'm saying soldiers because they are in like fatigues, they have guns and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So now there's about thirty to forty of these soldiers surrounding this small group of people. They start lecturing them about the FARC and protecting the people of Columbia and like saying this weird stuff. They're like this and Mark's like, huh, this stuff doesn't really add up. Like it doesn't really sound like they know what they're talking about with the FARC. It's mm. very weird. And Victor, who has contacts in the FARC, says he has no idea who these people are. Mm. He does not recognize them. He does not think that he like he's like, this something's up. This is not right. He's not the usual folk. This is not the usual FARC. So I said folk, but fuck, that works as well. Yeah, fuck. So some of the gorillas... Fucking hell, Christine. <laughs> fucking hell. Fucking hell. So some of the gorillas say they're going to go to Panama, like go the other way they're going, and they're taking Victor with them. Oh, come on, man. We just came from that way. I know. Victor's like, oh, I'm so tired. I just want to hang out in Colombia and get some arepas and chill. But he can't do that. He can't. So they try to say, like, no, you cannot take Victor. Because they don't want to send Victor alone with these Victor's people. Victor's the man. Victor's awesome. I really like Victor. So <laughs> Jules is giving me a look like, why? What's so great about What's Victor? What's so good about Victor? No, Victor's awesome. So basically like well. they can't stop him. So Victor and half the gorillas go, up, go back to Panama, where they just came from. But, you know. Victor's in on it. Yep. <laughs> Victor's in on it. So what? Uh, The other soldiers keep Mark, Robert, and Meg captive for days. They're just, they're not really doing much. They're marching a little bit, but they're kind of just like sitting there, sitting around, like waiting for instructions, it feels like. But are they forcibly keeping them there? Okay, so basically, they're, it's kind of loosey goosey, he said. Mark decided it wouldn't be a good idea to escape because then they'd just be out in the jungle. With no supplies. But he said that the gorillas like left their guns around and it was like very loosey goosey. They were all young, like 16, 17, 18. They were like chatting with them. It happens so much in these stories where they get to start chatting with the their hostage or the hostages chat with the captors and mm-hmm. things like that, you know? Yeah. Which I find to be really interesting. So finally, the other group that went to Panama or started going towards Panama comes back. And they don't have Victor, unfortunately. Uh oh, where's Victor? Yeah, so they're like, where the hell's Victor? He's with Christine. And he's with me. We're having a little love affair. <laughs> Victor's like 60 or something. He's older. Um, At least so- Victor was young. No, no, Victor's not young. No, no, okay, so sorry. They had, Victor's an older guide. He's in his 50s. He's from Panama. The the little, the indigenous g- local g- guides, g- 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 they're younger. Like eight. Got you, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. So Victor's like the whole head honcho that's been organizing this whole thing from Panama. But then they also have to have the local guides who really know the jungle and also can get them in with the chiefs and all that stuff. Gotcha. Really wasn't sure about that. Oh, sorry. I should have explained that That's better. okay. I mean, it's not oh, super no, integral to the story it's just like victor is no, a guy it is extremely inter- okay guys integral. stop listening integral stop listening go back re-listen with that information now meet us back here okay i'll give you a second to go back okay good work guys now we're here okay you back okay great F- fantastic so they're like where's victor and the, the girls are like oh he's coming he'll be here any second 
Then the guerrillas demand all of their electronics and passports and make them continue marching. So now these people don't barely have anything. They don't got nothing. They don't got nothing. So at this point, Mark is very concerned that these people are not FARC, but instead paramilitary. Ah, yes. Now, Christine, what is the difference? What is the paramilitary? So paramilitary are actually the enemy of the FARC. They are right-wing militia that fight against the FARC. You did your homework. I did my homework because I didn't really... I honestly thought the FARC were paramilitary, but paramilitary is a term that can be used for a few different groups. Yes. So I think the Navy SEALs are paramilitary technically. But in this instant, in Colombia, paramilitary is the right wing, like anti-FARC. Yes, so paramilitary are almost like mercenaries. They are hired by the government, essentially, to then go, like, to flush out the FARC, like the rebel Mm -hmm. opposers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, and apparently they're even more ruthless than the FARC. Yes. And there's rumors of them using chainsaws on people. Yes, they are, and that's also one of the things that the FARC continues to fight against. It's like the government's use of paramilitaries, which mm-hmm. is kind of like, where does the circle end? Yes. And apparently the paramilitary is like trying to get support from the local indigenous villages, but I don't think that's going very well. Mm. So they hike all night and then they make it to the village that they're originally heading to in Colombia. So they're crossing the border now. They're very tired. Jules is yawning right now, so he's obviously um, very tired. I'm loving the story, though. I mean, it's a longer been, story today. It's a longer story it's today. It's good, though, but it's it's worth it, guys. So stick around. Yeah. So they're. I mean, all, I haven't heard it. I'm just saying. Yeah, actually, you I'm, wouldn't I'm really, really know. It could just end there. I'm enthralled, though. And because then we've I love never these, heard from them again. I love these. Great, great story. No, I love these hostage stories. They're great. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's been a while since we've done a hostage story. This is a, a locked up abroad story, Ooh. even though he doesn't get locked up. But, I mean, whatever. We love those. They're great. We love these stories. And yeah. we know you guys do as well. Yeah. So they're all tired. They end up just passing out in this field. A couple hours later, a different group of soldiers wake them up and tell them to get up. Tell the, the group of captors, captives. So they take them to a graveyard. They take them to the graveyard. Take them to the graveyard. And they at this point they're thinking, well, this is where we're going to die. If there's yeah. anywhere to do it, it's a just freaking creepy ass graveyard in the middle of the night. Yeah, generally not the place that you want to go to if you're being captive uh like mm-hmm. with somebody and they take you somewhere, I would take um, you know, McDonald's. I would take a Cheesecake Factory. I cheesecake would, Factory? Yeah. Oh, I don't know about you. I, I think a, I'd rather go to the graveyard. Take a graveyard. I hate Cheesecake Factory. So all night they just sit in the graveyard, and as the sun rises, more soldiers come, and they take Mark away from the group. So as he's being taken away, Meg and Robert say goodbye to him as if it's their final goodbye. Probably Mark, not a bad idea. Yeah, Mark thinks 100% he's going to get a bullet in his head. They're taking him away to, to execute him. So they get him down to this riverbed, and they take him to a commander. And the commander's like, okay, we're going to talk about politics. And Mark's like, what the F? Like, this is so bizarre. And Mark is very, like, left-wing. He's read a lot about FARC, and, and he's young, and he really he kind of supports their cause. So he's, like, pretty pro-FARC and yep. very anti-military. So, but at this point, he's pretty sure that these people are are paramilitary and not FARC. So at this point, he's just like, hell, whatever. I'm I'm just going to spit my truth and tell them what's on my mind. So the guy, the commander's like, what do you think about the paramilitary? And Mark is just like... 
They're the reason. They're the worst thing about Colombia. They're assassins. They're ruining everything. Da 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 da. And he's just like full on ranting about these people that he thinks they are paramilitary. So he's basically digging himself in this big hole. What? Well, you could say that he's digging his own grave at the graveyard. (laughs) The guy's like, "Hey, why don't you tell me about this story as you just dig this hole? You know, here's a shovel and just you know let it rip. Just just go to town. Everything you've got bad to say about the paramilitary." Just take a shovel of dirt and essentially dig your own grave. That's a real power move to make somebody dig their own grave before you kill them. Yeah. Would you do it? Very morbid power move. Yeah. Do it. Do it. So they're like, so the commander looks at him and says, enough. He makes him stop talking. And then he rips open his army fatigues and he has an undershirt with the Colombian paramilitary skull and crossbones logo. There's a logo? There's a logo. It's a skull and crossbones. Really? Yeah. You can get a shirt probably, maybe. And he says, we are paramilitary. What do you think about that? What do you think about that, huh? And then they go into a break-up thing. (laughs) Then we have a rap battle. And about the map of Darien Gap. Hey, my name is Mark. I'm not part of the fuck. (laughs) All I wanted to do was get a rap, a map about the Darien Gap. That's pretty good. Mm, That's not bad. So Mark's like, oh, shit. And then he asks for a cigarette. Mm, He's Uh, like, well, I'm going to go out. But instead of shooting him, they all just start laughing. Like the whole group of soldiers just starts laughing. So he what he figures is that they were pretending to be FARC to make them, you know, the people make make the captors feel more at ease i don't know and that he basically just said what i don't know he basically just said what he thought the farc would want to hear that's what they think and they think that he they tricked him to be like we're paramilitary we're not farc but mark had a good idea about that anyway Uh, so So, so they thought that he was like you know, oh, I'll just tell them this. And then, then they laugh because yeah. he couldn't be so stupid to think that they're par- paramilitary right. and then actually call them out on all their shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly, which is exactly what he's done. But they they just think he's a silly man. He's mm. just laughing at it. So once he sees them laughing, he thinks, okay, they're probably not thinking I'm a big threat if they're just like laughing, laughing, whatever. And then Robert and Meg come around the bend and they're shocked to see Mark alive. And then the commander says, guess what? You're free to go. It was all just a test. (laughs) So apparently it was just some huge mind game that they really wanted to fuck with some, I don't know. I don't know what their game was. A lot of times, I've read other stories about captors, especially in the Darien Gap, where they basically take these people captive and then they don't really know what to do with them. And then they're just like, just leave. Get out of here. Well, they probably what happens is that they come across them and they're just like the foot soldiers, just the low let rank people, just like oh, they kind of freak out and 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 don't know what to do. So they're like, come with us. Like you're captured, mm-hmm. and then they bring him back, and then the commander's like, well, these guys are just nobodies. Right. What am I supposed to do? If anything, all it's going to do is bring more pressure onto us. Yeah. And so yeah, like let's just find out a way to get rid of you, and maybe if we can get a bit of money from the government, then to return you over, but otherwise, like, you're right. more trouble than it's worth. Well, also, if the paramilitary are working with the government, the government doesn't really want dead gringos, dead tourists in, you know, in Colombia. Correct. Whereas they don't really care as, as much about indigenous people. I know that's horrible. I'm sorry. I, 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 I didn't make that up. That's just no, no, the no, reality no. of that the situation. Reality, yeah. So they're probably like, eh, it makes more sense to just let these gringos go. Yes. So they do. They yeah. let them go. The next 
next day, a priest and a nun show up to Always a priest. pick them up. He thought it was going to be the Red Cross, but now it's just a priest and a nun in a pickup truck. So Meg, Robert, and Mark pile into the back of the pickup truck and watch as they drive away from the gorillas. Well, there you go. That's the same as the other guys who got captured in Colombia. It's mm-hmm. always the um, the religious leaders who step in as the media, like the mm-hmm. media, what's it called? The mediator. Yes, true, true. Mm. Yeah. So they get flown to Bogota by the U.S. Embassy, where they get the full story about what happened to Victor. What Uh-oh. do you think happened to Victor? Uh, Victor, is. I want to believe that he's relaxing on a beach somewhere. On the islands, feet up, and he was all, he was in on it. It was all just part of his big ruse. Smoking cigar. Yeah. Well, not quite. So apparently the group did head back towards Panama, and they came across the village of Paya, which you'll remember is where the group went. They had the nice feast. They had the dance and all that kind of stuff. So apparently there was some sort of conflict and the paramilitary ended up killing the chief of that village. Oh, okay. And causing just mayhem. They were I think they killed multiple people actually, which is horrible obviously. And then they headed further back into Panama and at that point Victor thought I'm a dead man walking. Like well, I'm Well, especially screwed. if they killed the chief of the yeah. town and then killed other people, you're probably like, well, they're not going to save Victor. They're definitely going to get rid of me at some stage. Exactly. So, he Runs away. He escapes. He runs through the jungle. I mean, he's like in his 50s. He's just this, you know, Panamanian dude. And there's these trained paramilitaries searching for him. But somehow Victor escapes, which is rad. I don't know what he's doing now. But he's out there. He's on the loose. Hopefully, he did get to go to the beach and uh, also they don't know. They do not know where he went. But he apparently did escape. There you go. Unfortunately, oh, so what he did is he ran to the next village uh, and warned them that the paramilitary was coming because he saw what happened in the last village and he was very worried about that. Just them. a heads up. So by the time the paramilitary gets to that vi- village, it's empty. But unfortunately, they did loot and burn it to the ground. Mm, that's just sucks. horrible. So at this point, Mark is tr- starting to lose it. He's like, Oh my God, all this horrible stuff has happened because I wanted to cross the Darien Gap. He feels very guilty. I mean, people have literally died. Because of his desire. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, who's to say that this wouldn't have happened anyway? You don't know. Like, this conflict existed way before Mark decided to go to Columbia. But it was that chain of events of hiring the guide and going down there that brought the paramilitary to the village and Mm. caused lives to be lost. So that was very sad. So that's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. So, so Mark is, uh, he's stressed out. So he finally gets released in the embassy, gets to be in Columbia, but he feels really horrible for the price others had to pay for his recklessness. Mm. Mm. Okay. So fast forward the final chapter. I've actually labeled my sections as well. So you are so Mark, Mark returns to Olympia, Washington, uh, and he, you know, kept his sense of adventure alive. He was a mountain climber around the Pacific Northwest. On June 4th, 2010, so this was nine years later, then 29-year-old Mark headed up Mount Rainier for a solo climb. Mm-hmm. Always the rogue traveler. He didn't tell anyone he was going, and he also didn't register for the climb. So he didn't get a permit. They didn't know he was up there. God, come on, Mark, man. You feel like you would at this stage. This is just a, a little bit. man. This is how he this works. This is how he rolls. 
Uh, so unfortunately, because he didn't register, he wasn't warned about the unstable conditions on the mountain that day. On that day, 11 climbers were buried in an avalanche on Mount Rainier, including Mark. Everyone but Mark was rescued. Whoa, because I didn't know he was there? I think so, yeah. And he passed away on June 4th in the avalanche. Damn. Yep. Apparently, he had told his mom previously, not that day, but just, you know, in general, if I die on the mountain, it's okay. And she said, that's just how he rolled. He didn't, you know, he wouldn't have gotten a permit. He just does things himself. And so he escaped the guerrillas or the paramilitary, but he did not escape the avalanche. Damn, that guy got a lot of crazy stories in his 29 years of of life. Apparently, there were other stories, like he outran a different avalanche. Uh, he tricked some turtle poachers in in like Panama or something. Like he had all these crazy stories, which isn't surprising. I mean, people like this, uh, they would have a million stories. Yeah. So maybe we'll find some more from Mark. Yeah, maybe. So that was the story of Mark. If you want to learn more about this, uh, there's an episode on Locked Up Abroad. But I couldn't figure out which season or episode. They they it doesn't make sense. Some they list them as a certain season episode, and then you see it on a different one, and you know who knows. Mm. And uh, and then the the last part of that I got from the Spokesman Review, which is a Spokane, Washington paper. Wow. Well, that was a great story, and I'm glad that I'm glad that we we stretched it out and got back to it. Was fun going back to our old style of stories. Mm. We really went deep on one story. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting story, especially having that follow up where he did pass away adventuring, mm. but he escaped this crazy situation, and uh, hopefully he had a lot of adventures in between. Yeah. Well, Mark, uh, thank you for the story, mate. Sorry, I'm unfortunate about that avalanche, though. Mm, yeah. That's uh, just, I guess that's even more of a, if we can take anything out of the the end of his story is that, you know, even more reason to make sure that you do the right thing when you are going out backpacking, adventuring, climbing. Um, you know, we've talked many times about people getting lost on trails, having beacons, GPS devices, Always let people know where you're going, when right. you're going. Yes. Especially, even if you're... A lot of people always think that, that that's something that they should do if they go solo, which they definitely should. And, uh, you know, so you, you, you think to yourself, okay, I've got to let someone know I'm going on this trail because it's just me. But then sometimes you think that because you're going with two, three, four people that you don't necessarily need to tell something because there's four of you. But we also see a lot of stories about, you know, a whole party getting trapped in an avalanche or... Mm-hmm a whole party getting lost. And so it's always important to let someone know where you're going. Yes, that's And I would say that we are probably guilty of... Yeah, we don't really do that that much. (laughs) No, we don't. But that just made me think about that. (laughs) Yeah. Because like that that. story then about his final, about when Mark finally um, passed in the avalanche, 11 climbers were buried in that uh, avalanche. Mm -hmm. Everyone got rescued except Mark. Yeah. Like there was probably parties there that were together, you know, two or three climbers together. And so like if they hadn't have told people... They might have also, but anyway. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much for the story. Yeah. We've got to get out of here. This has been a long one today. Yes, it has been a long one. We'd love your feedback. Do you like the long stories? Do you like shorter stories? Let us know. Yeah, let us know. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, whether you listen to it on Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to subscribe so they just drop. Yes, so whenever we do finally record and release episodes, they just automatically drop in there. You don't have to worry about 
waiting and coming back and checking, oh, did they actually drop it on Tuesday? Did they drop the podcast on Wednesday? Don't worry, just subscribe <laughs> and it'll just pop up as soon as it comes out. That's and a good point. That's the best way to keep up. Yeah, just subscribe and you'll always find from us because, you know, we're fast and loose, we're loosey-goosey, mm-hmm. we just, it's how we roll, guys, you yeah, know, we don't we like are. to keep things on schedule too much. So yeah. is it at a detriment to the podcast? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Just I think it actually will help us because more people will subscribe so they stay up to date. Yep. And tell your friends because if you're not telling your friends, we're not growing. And if we're not growing, we're slowing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We're slowing down the podcast if we don't keep growing. So tell all your friends. We're out of here. And speaking about it here, I'm going. Okay. All right. Remember, guys, to stay safe on the road. And if you're not, make sure you tell us about it. Or tell someone. Bye. Bye.